0: Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Those are verses 6 and 7 from Psalm 25, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, the 19th of April, 2021. Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, I'm John Green, and it's a pleasure to be with you today, and we're continuing in the book of Daniel. We have skipped forward a little bit because on Sunday that we don't I'm not doing a Sunday daily podcast, and so we missed the first part of the the Daniel 4 lesson, but you shouldn't have any problem following it because Daniel basically repeats the first part of that the the first part of Daniel four is actually narrated by the king Nebuchadnezzar, who tells Daniel about a dream that he had He had called in the Chaldeans and the others to listen to this dream and to interpret it and they were unable to do so and so Daniel's brought in and, and um, Nebuchadnezzar narrates the events of, of that first 18 verses himself. It's his voice that we hear there um, and it's first person the way that he does that and so it's an interesting kind of digression but there's a word in there that he uses that's different and it's we'll get to it in just a minute uh, what that was but it, it it's... A little bit of Babylonian um, belief system slipped in there, um, and we believe that to be the case because it's, it uses a word. The word is watcher, um, and watcher is only used here in Daniel, and then the other place that you see it is in Enoch, the book of First Enoch, which is an extra-biblical book um, that, that seems to date in the intertestamental period, sometime between when Malachi was written in the 400s and the time of the Gospels. And it was, um, it's a an apocalyptic book, and it it describes the fall of the angels, where the Watchers, and it talks about the Nephilim, and it's narrated by both Noah and Enoch, who was what um, prior to Noah, and so that they when when the the book or the movie. The, about noah that came out several years ago had the watchers in it and some of the imagery and the things that you see in the book of noah that you look at and you say well that's not in the bible well it, it came from the book of enoch um enoch was, has never been part of the biblical canon the books that make up the um the bible but but it's been influential in some circles um as an apocalyptic view of things, about what's going to happen in the end and all that. And so the watchers are pretty prominent in the book of First Enoch. Um, and you hear that word here in this passage, so just so you you'll know. So Daniel here now comes and says, He was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him concerning the king's dream. And the king says, Don't let it alarm you. And he answered, All right. My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And, and so what Daniel's saying, that, that what troubles him is this is a vision about the king and about the future. And it's, it's not a happy, clappy kind of a dream. Um, and so he says, may it be for them. You know, may, may I be wrong, in other words. And so then he says, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heavens, was visible to the end of the earth. whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And then he says, Because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him this is the interpretation O king it's a decree of the most high which has come upon you you'll be driven from among men and your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field You'll eat grass like an ox, and you'll be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar, while he had praised God in previous periods, he had never forsaken the gods of Babylon, and so he ascribes his dominion to himself. He's gotten too big for his britches. He's forgotten that there is a God And so what's going to happen is, is that he is going to essentially lose his mind for seven years. And so he says, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time you know that heaven rules. So he says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities, by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he he says, you know, the the, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. Everything about the book of Daniel, in so many ways, reminds me of Joseph in Egypt, because he interpreted dreams and all that. But he he also was a was a keen servant of the king, this foreign king that that he was there to serve. That that he provides sort of the the model for how we relate to government and how we relate to leaders. In, in our own time, in our own place, in in that we are to serve them, but we're to serve them secondarily, but we're to so serve them wholeheartedly. And so Daniel here obviously cares about Nebuchadnezzar and because he, he tells him, hey, I hope this is not for you. Um, but then he goes ahead and tells him the truth about all these things, and he gives a witness to the God who gives these kingdoms. And, and I think in America at least it seems like in so many ways power has become its own end and and we have lost sight in some ways of of the subservience to heaven and to the god of heaven and so we i think as americans sometimes need to remember who's in charge ultimately um you know we're going through this in our own life where we had to be reminded Suzanne and I did of of who's in charge because we can get so accustomed to things being the way they are that then all it's got to do is just slip a little bit and then you begin to realize wait a minute I, i i'm standing on a banana peel all the time and so that's the word that daniel gives the king here is is that he reminds him that he's standing on that banana peel and he's about to lose it and god's showing him that in advance so that he will know in advance who it is that has done this thing that it was not just a mental illness, for instance, or whatever. Nope, this was something God was doing, and he announced it in advance. So then we move from there over to the Luke 4 passage, Luke 4, 14 to 30, and what we see is Jesus has, has returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And so he goes back to his home area, and then so everybody's, there's a buzz about that, and he taught in their synagogues all through this place, and he was glorified by all, and then he came to Nazareth the place where he had been brought up. And and so he goes to the uh, synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. He would have been asked to read. It's sort of the local boy made good and and, uh, the buzz about him and everything. And so he goes, takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, finds the place where it was written, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's a messianic prophecy. It's just as straightforward as it can possibly be. And he then reads that, rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sat down because you sat down to teach. You stood to read and sat down to teach. And so he's sitting there in front of all and it says the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What's he going to say? We've heard about the things that he's done. We've heard about the miracles and the healing and everything else that he's done. What's he going to say? And what does he say today? This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's come true. I'm him. What's their response? They spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. And then they said, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's boy? And he said to them, doubtless, you're going to quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. What we've heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. In other words, prove yourself. You claimed it. Let's see it. You do some of that. And he says, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. In other words, you've heard all about these things. You have everything you need to know. But, but you're now letting what you know overcome what you've heard. This is Joseph's boy. He can't be what he says he is. He needs to do some stuff now to show us that that's who he really is. If that's your claim, then prove it. And so he says, no. um, In fact, um, in the days of Elijah, there were a lot of widows there. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, there was no rain and a great famine came all over the land. And there were widows everywhere, he says. But Elijah was sent to Zarephath, which is the place where Jezebel was actually from in the land of Sidon to a woman who's a widow and there were many lepers in the time of his successor Elisha and yet none of them were cleansed only Naaman the Syrian who came seeking that and so Jesus says no you're not going to get what it is you're looking for and it has nothing to do with me it has to do with you it has to do with unbelief because that's what both those prophets were dealing with in the time of Elisha there was the people had followed after other gods and the same during Elisha and Naaman only is the one who came to see him and remember that was because a servant girl said there's a man Elisha and Naaman said I'll give it a shot and so he is a Syrian army commander and he comes to Elisha and receives that healing but he has to go through a hoop to do that, and that is that he has to wash in the waters of the Jordan. And his initial response to that is pushback and say, you know, aren't the waters in Syria better than that? Why should I go to that one? And then he's reminded, if, if he gave you something hard to do, you wouldn't have a problem with it. You'd just do that. He gave you something easy to do. And so it's, it's got to do with faith. It's got to do with trust. It's got to do with believing. And so they didn't. These people here in Nazareth... They appreciated what he had to say, and they heard these things about him, but they needed proof. They needed him to do something that they could see in order to believe, and Jesus says, I'm not going to give it to you. It's Sometimes it's really difficult I mean, to, to say, I've got to see you do something. You've got to prove yourself to me. There's a difference between having to prove yourself and doing something because someone who believes asks you to do it. And so it's a totally different thing. They're, they're making belief contingent upon action. And he's saying, you've got a choice. And you, if Belief's got to come first in this particular instance. And so Jesus refuses to do it. And so what's their response when well, they heard these things? They were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they'd throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he just went on his way. It's how often... Do we see these same kinds of things where where faith is lost because Jesus failed to do what we asked him to do you know I know of a bishop in the Episcopal Church who, who is basically nothing more than a complete heretic whose faith was destroyed because he lost his first wife and, and he never ever could believe in a God of miracles again so he dumbed down everything about the faith and, and basically just stripped it of it, all its content and, and said all these miracle stories are just lies. They were just things that were made up so that people would believe. It's, it, our faith can't be contingent upon God doing exactly what we need Him to do because we live in a busted and broken world. I mean I've said it a million times but that's the reality is that we can't make it contingent upon our life being painless without horrible things happening in the world. And and then we can't ask, well, why did it happen to me? I mean, we we, we can't be like Job. We can't come to that, that lack of faith because we've believed the wrong thing. We've misunderstood the fact that we live in a busted and broken world by sin that's going to be restored and redeemed ultimately. And then that's what John's trying to say is is that that we know the spirit of truth we we got to stand in truth he says but we've got to be able to listen to to the word of god and we've got to know these things about god and if our heart doesn't condemn us we have confidence before god and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him and he says his commandments are really simple believe in the name of his son jesus christ and love one another he said, "If you keep those commandments, you abide in God, and God abides in you." And when he talks about love, remember John has said that's not a that's a uh, not a content-free word. It means doing what you can to provide for the needs of your brother. It's basically he's just quoting the Good Samaritan and saying that's that's how you love your brother is is if your brother has need, you provide for it to the extent that you're able to do so. And then he goes on to say that, that you can't trust every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. There's many false prophets, he says, that have gone out into the world. And he says, by this you know the spirit of God. If the spirit confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And again, he's getting back to that thing with the, about the docetists and the Gnostics who've said we have spirits. Uh, different knowledge, special dispensational knowledge, that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He just kind of looked like he came in the flesh. And he says, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. He says, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's an important thing to say, but how clear could he say it like this? They're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. They get a crowd because the crowd likes what they say. And then he says four words, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He says those people that are drawing a crowd and you're making you question yourself if what you believe is right and what they believe if what you believe is wrong and what they believe is right, he said, don't worry about that because they're going to draw the world. And it's true. If you preach a message of self-help, if you preach a message of prosperity and health and all that kind of stuff, you can get a crowd. You can get a crowd. It's what the world wants. Go look at self-help sections in the bookstore. It's It's amazing how much we want to believe in ourselves and how much we want of this world. And if you promise them this is the key to that, then people will come. If you tell them what Jesus did, maybe not so much. Because the Spirit has to draw them. But we have to be disillusioned about the world that we live in. We have to lose the illusion that we have about this world being everything and this world being good. We have to be disillusioned in order that we can then seek the kingdom of God and look for the world that is to come, the one that we all believe is right.